Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. I'm your host, Carly Florison. I'm a writer, a storyteller, and just a little bit of a history nerd. I'm really, really thrilled to have so much great feedback on the first episode, the story of Black Jack Anderson. So thank you so much for all all of you who um, let me know how much you enjoyed that episode. I'm really stoked to hear it. And I really hope that you're going to all enjoy this episode just as much. This is a really fun one as well. Before I begin today, I would just like to acknowledge the Nanda people of the Murchison River area, which is where this story takes place, and also the Noongar people of the Esperance area, which is where I am recording today. The First Nations people of this land have a history and a connection to this country that goes back tens of thousands of years, and I would just like to acknowledge that and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging right at the outset of this podcast. Once again, I'm really excited about this story today. Uh, it's a really fun one, as I said. This story contains royalty, micronations, a Daryl Kerrigan-worthy legal stoush, and I'm sure you will agree, the very best war that we've ever been involved in. Yes, today we are going to look at the story of the Hutt River province. If you travel north from Perth, about 500 kilometres, you'll get to a place in the middle of the Western Australian outback called the Hutt River Province, which is a sovereign state, a completely independent nation, right in the middle of the outback. They've got their own postal system, their own currency. You even need to get a visa on the way in and out if you visit the country. Up until at least last year, you could visit this sovereign nation and see it for yourself. So how did we end up with a completely independent, sovereign nation right in the middle of the Western Australian outback? Well, let me tell you. This story begins in 1969. To give you a bit of context, the Australian Wheat Board was established in 1915, during the First World War, to administer a wheat pooling system. And the purpose of that was to manage food during the war years. It was abolished after the First World War and then reinstated during the Second World War. And then the Australian Wheat Board was given a monopoly over purchasing and exporting all Australian wheat. In 1948, the Wheat Industry Stabilisation Act was introduced and the aim of that was that it would protect growers so that they would always have a market and a stable price for their grain. But it gave the Australian Wheat Board the authority to regulate the industry. Now, I know this is really boring so far, but stay with me because it's going to get better. The 1968-69 harvest was a record year for Australia and it coincided with wheat stocks around the world being quite high. So that they wouldn't have to stockpile large amounts of grain, the Western Australian government put quotas in place to make sure that there wouldn't be any issues with excess stock. And you might be shocked to know that this led to some farmers selling wheat illegally. In 1969, a man called Leonard Cassley was having a really good year. He had a farm 500 kilometres north of Perth, around the Murchison River area, and according to Cassley, on his 18,500 acres of land, he had 9,900 acres of wheat ready to harvest. The Australian Wheat Board worked out their quotas based on the average yield of the land for the previous seven years, and based on those quotas... Um, Cassley's land hadn't been used previously, but so based on those quotas, the government said that they would only buy 10% of his crop. His, that was his quota, which was around 1,647 bushels of wheat out of his approximately 14,700 bushels of wheat that he was, he was prepared to harvest. 
Of course, Cassley was frustrated and devastated by this news, and he appealed to the WA governor without success. Then he tried to claim some more land surrounding his farm so that he would be able to claim a larger quota, and this didn't work either. So then after that, he decided that he would sue the Western Australian government for $52 million in compensation. That didn't work either. So Cassley did what any reasonable person might be expected to do, and he seceded from the Commonwealth of Australia, declaring that his family farm was a sovereign state. The Hutt River Province, as Leonard Cassley called the farm, would be an independent sovereign state, or at least it would claim to be an independent sovereign state, for over 50 years. At 75 square kilometres, the Cassley family farm was bigger than countries such as Macau, Nauru, Monaco and Vatican City. Leonard Cassley was obviously a really interesting character. He was born in Kalgoorlie in 1925. He dropped out of school at 14 years of age and he went to work for a Perth shipping company. During that time, apparently, he was a voracious reader and taught himself a lot of different things. During World War II, he served in the Royal Australian Air Force in Borneo from 1943 when he was 18 years old. After the Second World War, he met Shirley Butler at a dance in Perth and they married in 1947 when she was 19 years old. Shirley and Leonard would go on to have seven children, four boys and three girls. Cassley claimed that he was a mathematician and a physicist, and he also claimed that he had written articles for NASA, which is pretty interesting for a person who dropped out of school at 14 years old. And to be honest, I haven't found any proof that he did actually write write any articles for NASA. Uh, But that just seems to be the kind of person he was, a larger-than-life character and maybe prone to just a little bit of exaggeration. He did well in his work for the shipping company, and then in the late 1960s, he bought some land near Northampton around the Murchison River, just in time for the quotas to come in. So the Hutt River province, which later on would be called the Principality of Hutt River as well, was named after the river that flows through the property. Let me read you a quote here. So the Hutt River itself has been described as a stretch of water which flowed like a torrent during the brief winter and hardly at all during the endless summer, which produced flies the size of Honda 50s. I'm sure if you know the Western Australian outback very well, you'll know exactly the type of landscape we're talking about here. So after Cassley declared his own land to be a sovereign state, he found in his Encyclopedia Britannia, remember those? a reference to an obscure British law from 1495 that stated that it was illegal to interfere with the activities of a prince. And it also provides that the de facto king of a nation cannot be guilty of treason in any relation to any act against the lawful king, and that anyone who interfered with that monarch's duties could be charged with treason. Cassley interpreted that law to mean that if he was a prince, he wouldn't be interfered with, And so he began to call himself His Majesty Prince Leonard I of Hutt. His wife became Her Royal Highness Princess Shirley of Hutt, Dame of the Rose of Sharon. His seven children also all got royal titles. Now I'm going to read you out their names and their titles because I just love how utterly Australian their names are and how they contrast with the royal titles. So as well as His Majesty Prince Leonard I of Hutt, there was also um, Ian, the Crown Prince, Wayne, the Duke of Nain, Richard, the Duke of Carmel and Minister of Postal Services, Graham, 
the Duke of Gilboa and Minister of State, and the Duchesses, Kay, Diane and Cheryl. Castley instituted a government, selected a national anthem and a flag, and started to issue stamps, currency and visas. He decided that the capital of the Hutt River province, which is the area where his family home was, would be called Nain. Shortly after this, the Hutt River province became a tourist attraction, and before long it began to attract quite a steady flow of tourists to the area. According to one report, up to 60,000 visitors a year were coming to the Hutt River province. Visitors would get their passports stamped by Castley on the way in, and they would be able to visit the post office, the non-denominational chapel, and a replica of Castley's head that stood over a metre high. The motto of the Hutt River province was, While I breathe, I hope. Now, it all sounds very grand for a family farm in the middle of nowhere, but Castley would often speak of his vision for Hutt River. Castley's vision for Hutt River included 20,000 inhabitants, an artificial lake, a casino, a luxury hotel, and an airline. The reality was not so grand, as it was essentially a glorified farm where the tourists would have to use the bathrooms in the Castley's own house. But declaring that his family farm was a sovereign state did seem to solve the issue of wheat quotas. Castley continued to sell the wheat from his property in open defiance of the wheat quotas. He also had displayed at the property a letter from the tax department which stated that he was a non-resident of Australia for tax purposes. Uh, The Castleys didn't receive any Australian benefits and this also included mail. It seems that the Western Australian Postal Service would, from time to time, just refuse to deliver mail to the Hutt River province, which required some kind of complicated workaround where they sent their mail through a separate country. They did pay council rates, but Castley referred to them as annual gifts rather than rates. They also bestowed knighthoods on different people and issued citizenships. Apparently 13,000 people have acquired citizenship in the Hutt River province, mostly from overseas. The Hutt River province, of course, allows dual citizenship. And while most places around the world ignore the Hutt River province, there was an instance of a man being arrested in Germany for attempting to use a Hutt River diplomatic passport. For the most part, the rest of Australia generally just ignored the existence of the Hutt River province. But in 1977, the, the tax office apparently decided to crack down on the Castley's non-payment of tax. Here's a quote from Castley. One day, one of my friendly senators in Canberra rang me up and said, Malcolm Fraser has instructed the tax department to go after you and break you. And in a very short time, we had three court cases in a row. I said to the cabinet in here one day, we've got to do something about Malcolm Fraser. He's waging a state of cold war against us. Let's make it a real war. So, in 1977, Leonard Castley sent a telegram to the Governor-General declaring war on Australia. A few days later, he sent another telegram calling an end to the hostilities. Apparently, the short state of war between the Principality of Hutt River and Australia was a scheme where Castley's purpose was to argue that... Under the Geneva Treaty Convention of 1949, a government should show full respect to a nation undefeated from a state of war. So let me digress for a moment here, because the Hutt River province started off quite an interesting phenomenon here in Australia. The Hutt River province was a micronation, and a micronation is a country that is not officially recognised. 
This is as opposed to microstates, which is small countries such as Vatican City. So the Hutt River province is the oldest micronation in Australia. But as I found out when I was doing some research for this edition, Australia has one of the largest number of micronations in the world. For example, a man called George Cruikshank, or George II, has established the Empire of Atlantium in New South Wales, which has its own constitution, its own judicial system, its own flag and currency. Sometimes, like the Hutt River province, the micronations are established as some sort of a form of protest. Another example of that is the gay and lesbian kingdom of the Coral Sea Islands, which was which was formed as a symbolic protest about the lack of action around same-sex marriage. But at other times, these micronations are formed for much more frivolous reasons. For example, Paul Del Pratt, who, has, who is the prince of the Principality of Wye, seceded from Australia and established the Principality of Wye at his home in Mosman in Sydney over a dispute with the local council over his driveway. And here's what he says. I believe it's important for people to have some degree of independence, even if it's imaginary, Del Pratt laughs. Like Ned Kelly, I hate the idea of injustice and unfairness. There are many ways of fighting it, and one of those ways is by laughing at it. This sounds quite similar to Len Leonard Cassley, doesn't it? Although I get the impression that Leonard Cassley was a little more serious. I think this whole thing about micronations really feeds into our Aussie idea of independence and sticking it to the authorities and a good dash of our larrikin nature thrown in. Here's another quote from Del Pratt. What a wonderful society we live in that we put up with people like me. And the WA government did put up with Leonard Cassley, more or less. In 1980, a Perth court ruled that the Hutt River currency and postage stamps were valid and legal in the territory of the Hutt River province. From time to time, the tax office attempted to get money out of him, usually not very successfully. In 2007, Leonard Cassley appealed to the High Court after a judgment against the family relating to one of his sons failing to file tax returns. The appeal was unsuccessful, and Cassley's arguments were described as fatuous, frivolous and vexatious. On the 46th anniversary of the Principality, Leonard Cassley received a letter from the Queen congratulating him on the achievement, which he was very, very proud of. So what happened to the Hutt River province in the end? Well, unfortunately, it has a bit of a sad ending, although I really get the sense that Leonard Cassley had a lot of fun with uh, his own country. Here's a quote about Leonard Cassley. He points out that he never intended to become a prince or start his own country. He only meant to save his farm from ruinous wheat quotas. In that, he has been entirely successful. In 2013, Shirley Cassley died. It seems like she and Leonard had a really lovely relationship, although she was much more of a behind-the-scenes person. Apparently she liked to chat and she liked to help with organising cuppers for the tourists and all of the practical aspects of the province. In February 2017, after ruling for 45 years, Leonard Cassley abdicated the throne in favour of his youngest son, Prince Graham. By this stage, Cassley was 91 years old and he had emphysema. Cassley died in February 2019. Cassley was a fighter right to the end and he was somebody who wasn't afraid of getting into trouble and causing a bit of a fuss for the right reasons, especially if it was going to protect his family home. He reminds me very much of that other Aussie larrikin hero, Daryl Kerrigan, from the Aussie classic movie The Castle.
In 2017, Castley had been ordered by the Supreme Court to pay $2.7 million in unpaid tax, and with some extra fees on top of that, that came to a bill of $3 million. In January 2020, with tourist numbers declining, the Hutt River province issued a statement saying that they would be closing their borders and going on hiatus. Here's a quote from one of Castley's daughters, Princess Cheryl. No one wanted to undo what Dad did, but like a band when the lead singer leaves, it never sounds the same. So last year, in 2020, the province was dissolved and it was seceded back to the Commonwealth Government. The family farm was put on the market in order to pay the $3 million tax bills. So if you're in the market for a small principality, you can buy it. Now, while the end of this story is quite sad, you can't help but think that Leonard, Leonard Castley had a lot of fun with his scheme. Tens of thousands of people visited the Hutt River province, as well as several film and documentary crews from overseas. And Prince Leonard was even invited to the Vatican City. As well as all that, the Hutt River province ran, ran as a functioning farm. They cropped 20,000 hectares of land and they also ran sheep and cattle. I can't help but think it was quite an interesting life. The Shire of Northampton has listed the Principality as a place of high historic and social significance to Western Australia, and that comes from the, the Heritage Council of Western Australia. And as for his children, well, they seem to have just all gone back to living normal lives. So there you have it, that's the story of the Hutt River Province. Let me add just a little short postscript here. Leonard Castley might have been on trend. In 1933, a referendum was held in Western Australia asking it whether or not the whole of Western Australia should secede from the, the rest of the nation. But that's a story for another day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. Just to let you know, I'm going to try and put these episodes out weekly, depending on how I go with fitting that in with the, the rest of the demands of life. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a long episode one week and then a shorter episode every second week. I'm your host, writer and researcher, Carly Florison, and I'd just also like to thank my brother, Micah Florison, for the intro music. I'd really love to hear from you if you liked this story or if you didn't like it or if you've got some suggestions or even if you might have picked up a mistake that I've made. You can find me at my website, which is www.wildwapodcast.com and you'll find the show notes on that website as well with links to some of the resources that I've used in writing this, this episode. You can email me and the email address is wildwapodcast at gmail.com you can find me on Twitter at Carly Florison or on Facebook at Carly Florison as well. I'd really love to hear from you. It's always great getting feedback on these editions. I'd also really appreciate it if you would rate and review this podcast and please subscribe because then you'll get notifications whenever I put out a new episode. In the next edition of Wild, we're going to look at an audacious and very successful jailbreak from the, the notorious Fremantle prison. This is a fascinating one and definitely definitely tune in. It's going to be really interesting. Until next time.